Good morning, friends. It is lovely to see all of your faces on my screen. Um, hope you're all doing well this morning. Um, we are missing those of you that we haven't seen in person for a really long time. And yet just continuing to think of you all and um, pray for you all in this kind of ever-changing season. Um, I think by now, most of you probably know who I am, but in case we've got anyone listening in that doesn't know me, um, my name's Rachel. And my husband, Jim, and I have the absolute joy and delight of uh, being the pastors of this church. Um, and yeah, it's my delight to continue our series in Ephesians this morning. Um, Morag, in her sermon last week, mentioned our preaching meeting and talked about how she had sympathy for whoever it was that might end up with the passage that she was eventually assigned. And I would just like to take this opportunity to say that I definitely drew the shortest straw in that meeting with my passage. So there. Um, this week we are looking at a part of Ephesians that mentions wives, husbands, headship, submission, children, parents, slaves and masters. It's a big one. Um, but actually, though I joke about drawing the short straw on this passage, um, this is a part of the Bible that I actually really love. Um, but I will say more about that in a minute. But for now, I would love to invite Debs to come and read our passage, which is Ephesians chapter 5, starting from verse 15 and finishing at chapter 6, verse 9. So, Deb, could you read this for us? Okay, I think I'm unmuted. Cool. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their bodies, just as Christ does the church. 
for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing what the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward you Lord, each one of you for whatever good they do and whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. Thank you so much, Debs. Shall we dive in? This passage, particularly where it says that wives should submit to their husbands, is one that might cause a queue of ladies wanting a wee word with Paul when we get to the new heavens and the new earth. But like I said, I really do love this passage. And the reason that I love this passage is because I think it paints such a beautiful picture of the community that God is calling us to be. These controversial verses as well come in a context. Verse 15, which is our first verse this morning, includes a then, be very careful then. And that tells us that we're starting in the middle of something and we need to go back and see which thread it is that we're picking up. I reckon it's back at the beginning of chapter five, where Paul instructs us to follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ephesians is full of comparisons of our old life and our new life. We're no longer dead, but alive, no longer foreigners, but citizens. We were once darkness, now we're light. Paul spends the first half of his letter really hammering home our new identity in Christ. And the second half of his letter is his instruction on how this should influence our everyday lives. So the verses we're reading today are part of Paul's teaching on how we should follow God's example and walk in the way of love. And just as Morag mentioned last week, these aren't instructions just for the sake of it. This is the outworking of our new identity in Christ. The first verses, 15 to 20, 
are worthy of much more attention than I can give them this morning. But I will say this, Paul knows how we are likely to get distracted from Jesus by not making the most of opportunities, by missing where God is nudging us, and by filling the gaps in our lives with things like alcohol or perhaps binge watching to add a current example. If we are to walk in the way of love to those around us and even to love ourselves well, the best practical instruction there is, verse 18, is to be filled with the Spirit. And in doing that, we welcome God's presence. We delight in him. We sing psalms and hymns to each other. And instead of using one another, here it comes, we submit to one another. At this point, I want to take just a bit of time to talk about submission, because I think it's probably a good idea that we make sure we're on the same page about what it means when we talk about what the passage means as a whole. Call me crazy, but I don't think the question of submission needs to be the landmine that we seem to have made it. I think that the call to submit is a call for all people to prefer one another, to lift each other up, and to be willing to lay down our preferences for the sake of our brothers and sisters. That's what submission means here. This is an instruction for all of us to just be the opposite of selfish. And the headline here, the grand opening to this tricky passage is in verse 21, submit to one another. And we have to read the rest of this passage, keeping that in mind as the overall message. We are all, every single one of us, asked to submit to each other. And don't forget that the reason that we do all this anyway is not just for the sake of it. We do this because we're following God's example and walking in the way of love. While we're here on the topic, I'd also like to call out some of the things that submission is not. Submission isn't letting people walk all over you. Submission isn't blind obedience. It isn't a monopoly card to grant husbands the final word over their wives whenever there's a disagreement. And it certainly, certainly isn't being quiet in the face of mistreatment or abuse. Our submission, our preferring the other, isn't something that we demand or even expect of each other. Our submission is a gift that we give our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives. We offer our submission. We're not beaten into it. Let's now turn to the rest of this passage and look at the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. What we also need to remember as we read each of these instructions is that Paul wasn't writing into a vacuum. He was writing to a specific group of people living in a specific set of circumstances at a specific time. Paul's audience was a culture where men had all the power, 
all the authority and all the education and the social standing. Women, children and slaves were their property and they would have been no strangers to being told to submit to their husbands, fathers and masters. So for Paul to then suggest that a man's subjects were in fact his equals and should be treated as such, this was a seriously radical rethink of relationships. Paul wasn't trying to place women below men here. He was giving them a privileged status that they had never previously enjoyed. This is a radical and joyful picture of all people lifting each other up through denying themselves and giving to others. How then does this play out between husbands and wives? When we read these particular verses, it's really important to take the instructions to wives and husbands together. If we don't, we end up being shocked that this instruction for wives to submit to their husbands and we're left feeling like this is not a relationship of equals. I've had a few conversations where I've been asked what it looks like for wives to submit to husbands, but I've never had any conversations where I'm asked what it means for a husband to love his wife in the way that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. But Paul gives this to us as a package deal. This is mutual submission. The best way I can think to illustrate what I think Paul is getting at here is to give you an example of how this has played out for Jim and I. Rewinding 10 years or so, Jim and I were sat in the classy establishment that is Starbucks and Andrews, talking about where our relationship was going. Where are we heading for marriage? Jim explained to me that he was certain that he was called to ministry at some point. And he wanted me to know that before I decided to plan my life with him. I could see that he was certain of his calling and that he would need whoever was by his side to give him the freedom and support to live out that call. For me, the thought of being married to someone in ministry was daunting. Frankly, I wanted a much more comfortable life than that would afford. But the two certainties I had were that I wanted to be with Jim and that he was likely heading for ministry. So my desire for a comfortable life had to go. I'd also worked out that he could cook by then, which was added incentive to stick around. Little did I know how much his ministry would become my ministry too, but I think that's probably a story for another day. Turning over and looking at the other side of this coin then, there's Jim, who loves me in return by always putting me and our marriage above our ministry. Where he has the energy to do something and I don't, he slows down so that I don't get left behind. When I feel overwhelmed by something, he stops everything he's doing, no matter how important it is, to sit with me and make sure that I am okay. He always makes sure that we make decisions together. And just like I once decided that his calling was more important than my comfortable life, he now goes to great lengths to encourage me in my calling, even when it costs him something, like checking my sermons over on a Friday night. 
I think that's an example of what it looks like for a wife to submit to her husband and a husband to love his wife as himself. This is mutual submission with both sides laying down their preferences for the good of the other. Moving on to verse 23. Having then instructed wives to submit to their husbands, Paul tells us that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. There are a few possibilities here for the meaning of the word head. And if you're interested in some further reading, I highly recommend a look at this book, which I will point at the camera now. There we go. And for those of you who are not looking at the camera, that book is called Rediscovering Scripture's Vision for Women, and it's written by a theologian called Lucy Pepiat. Her suggestion is that the meaning of head in this passage, rather than being about authority, which is what some read it as, is something more along the lines of cornerstone, which we know is a word often used to describe Jesus. Christ as cornerstone gives the sense of firm foundation, one who is worthy of trust and a uniting force that points us to God. It seems to me like this would fit well with the characteristics of a husband who loves his wife. Now turning to verses 26 to 30. It could look here like Paul is instructing a husband to make his wife holy, cleansing her and presenting her before the Lord. But at this point, Paul has definitely switched to focusing on the relationship between Christ and the church. He certainly is not saying that wives need their husbands to save them. Instead, he draws the comparison between husbands and Christ, Christ because this is the level of sacrifice he's expecting from husbands when he tells them to love their wives. All that said, though, because Paul is speaking into a culture where men held all the power and education and women were heavily reliant on their husbands, Paul could well be making the call to husbands here to use their education and knowledge to share what they know of God with their wives, to encourage them in their faith in a similar way to the instruction he gives them to teach their children about God. Husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. And one of the ways they might do this is by caring for her soul and pointing her to Jesus. This is an empowering and not a disempowering of women. Wives don't need their husbands to save them. But if they're not going to have the chance to get to know God without their husbands telling them, then husbands, you'd better do your job. I have been very privileged in my educational opportunities. But even so, I'm blessed with a husband who excitedly tells me fun facts about Jesus. And the things that he shared with me have always given me a greater understanding of God's character. I remember one day early in our relationship where we took a trip to the Trafford Centre one evening for dinner. And the car journey turned into a crash course for me in covenant theology, which is something I had never heard of. And I think Paul would approve of this example of Jim loving his wife, telling her about Jesus and taking her out for dinner. Win. The instruction for a wife to submit to her husband to put him first is a high call. 
It's costly and it should make us stop and think. But the instruction for the husband that follows it to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that's an even higher calling. And what a stunning picture we get when we think of wives and husbands both living like this. Moving on now to the second relationship that Paul talks about in this passage, and that's parents and their children. As I said earlier, children would have been no strangers to being told to obey their parents. But for fathers to then be told that they had a part to play in this too, that was revolutionary. And this is another pair of instructions where we can't have one part without the other. Children are indeed asked to follow their parents' instructions, but the parents must also play their part and not use their position of authority. Sorry, not misuse their position of authority. Children should follow their parents' instructions, but those instructions must be for the good of the child. There's also a call on parents here to bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not a parent, so my ability to speak into this might be limited, but I do have the joy and privilege of watching some of our dear friends raise their children, and it's an absolute marvel. Sure, there's the occasional meltdown and the odd soggy biscuit smushed into a face or a sofa or other undesirable places, but I also witness our parents, our parent friends, both modeling Jesus to their children and teaching them about him. And from what I can tell, this is the absolute best way to prepare our children for their adult lives and their lifelong walks with Jesus. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. If we teach our children the ways of Jesus when they're young, we'll set them up to flourish as adults. Now to our third and final relationship in this passage, slaves and masters. Every time slavery comes up in the Bible, it feels jarring and uncomfortable. Why doesn't Paul just say no more slavery and be done with it? Well, Paul is speaking into a system here and he knew he couldn't change everything all at once. This is not Paul condoning slavery. Instead of that, he's trying to slowly change the existing system by changing the hearts of the people within it. And if you want more insight into how Paul sees slaves, I recommend reading what he has to say about Onesimus in his letter to Philemon. Again, slaves would have been no stranger to being told to obey their masters. But for Paul to then turn to the masters and tell them that their slaves had equal standing with them before God, that would have made for some very uncomfortable reading for the masters. This is again a radical change to the expected setup and really, really good news for people who were so used to just being someone else's property. Thinking about applying these verses about slaves and masters to the situations that most of us will face today, I think the closest comparison we can make is to our workplace relationships and the way leaders and managers treat their employees and vice versa. So 
If you're employed or you work for someone in any context, the call on you from these passages is to do the work you're asked to do and to be honest with it, especially when no one is checking up on you. We're not to cut corners in our work or take advantage of the fact that we're being paid. Instead, Paul asks us to serve wholeheartedly. And for those in leadership or managerial positions, Paul reminds us here to think of those working for us as equals. There's no room for treating people badly in the workplace. In 21st century language, I think this means managers making sure their team are paid properly and not expected to do more than the hours they're paid for. It means thanking people for the work they're doing, treating them with respect, encouraging them when they do a good job and investing in them so that they can learn and grow. That is walking in the way of love in the workplace. In my time as an employee, I have had many and varying experiences of managers. I've had a pretty sketchy manager. I've had a manager who screamed at at me one day for using too many tissues when I was suffering with hay fever. I've thankfully had great managers too. In Jim and I's capacity as senior pastors of the Kingdom Vineyard, the trustees are our bosses. And to take a second to honour them, they are shining examples of a good manager. Their primary concern is always with Jim and I's well-being. They never ask us how the church work is going without first asking us how we're doing. I think Paul would approve. So that brings us to the end of today's passage. And although there is so much more that could be said about these rich verses, I think we will bring it into land and ask what we can take from all of this. What are the highlights here and what do we do with them? This passage is absolutely not rules for the sake of rules. The way Paul is asking us to live is directly related to our new identity in Christ. It is a bold, positive picture of a community of people who choose Jesus's way, following God's example and walking in the way of love by submitting to one another in shockingly empowering ways. It's really, really important to God that we all love each other well. It's the code of conduct of the kingdom of God. If we follow Paul's instructions here, if we consciously lay down our lives for those around us, I think we'll only see more of God's kingdom here in East Fife and around you, wherever you find yourselves. This week, in light of Paul's words in today's passage, I invite all of us to ask God to show us where we can submit to others, where we can lay something down for the benefit of someone else. And this really doesn't have to be complicated. Our everyday lives, whatever our circumstances, are full of opportunities to make ourselves available to others and to put them above our preferences. It could be as simple as making someone a coffee and sticking around for a conversation with them, even when we've got work to do. 
It could be making your housemate their favorite dinner, even though you're not wild about it. It could be offering to babysit for a family so that parents can have some time together. The options are honestly endless. So, as we go about the rest of our day and our week, how can we each follow God's example, walking in the way of love and submitting to one another? I'm excited to see where this might lead us. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this vision that you have set out for us, your people. Thank you that you give us opportunities to submit to one another, to love each other well, and to serve each other and the communities around us. Lord, where we are selfish, we ask that you would forgive us and that we ask, we ask that you would show us a better way. Would you point us in the right direction? Would you give us the courage to step out and offer ourselves to others out of love and service for you? Lord, would you come and have your way among us and would you lead us to exciting places of loving one another? Amen.